Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Дорогие братья и сестры, приветствую вас. Dear brothers and sisters, good morning to you. It is great, great to see you. It, I'd like to say, well, it seems like yesterday that we were together last, but it really does seem all of a year. It's been a long year, but a good year, and I'll share a little more in a minute, but as, as Sean shared with you. Um, we are one of your own, and uh, I am so thrilled to be back here. Um, Rachel and I had the blessing of being part of a conference in Germany uh, just this last week. She went east, back to home to Moscow to be with Samuel and Tessa, and I came west. And uh, so you got stuck with me instead of her, which would have been a greater blessing, I know, but uh, she desperately wanted to come and, and uh, be here with me, but she sends her greetings. The children send their greetings as well. Uh, the last year has been a really, really good year. Samuel and Tessa have done well. Uh, God has uh, blessed them. They have, I would say, even thrived in Moscow. They go to a Christian academy called Hinkson. It's an English-speaking school, but there they uh, do learn Russian and uh, are doing very well in the Russian language. I don't doubt here within this next year they'll pass me by, despite the fact that I've been speaking the Russian language on and off for the last, well, decade, and uh, they have excelled and done quite well. Yes, Tessa has even found horses, yes, Russian horses, they do exist. Um, She has grown to love writing English, she does miss writing Western, but she has a great instructor who is a professional or soon-to-be professional uh, dressage writer, and uh, she just loves Nadia to death, and God has blessed her with good friends at school. She's on the running club at school. Samuel has done well. He, um, he also, like Tessa, uh, has thrived at school. Um, he is playing sports. He played for the first time in his life, really. He played football, I mean the real football, that is soccer, <clears throat> on his school team, and um, he did fairly well. He tried his hardest, and I know he's going to get better and better. But basketball, and right now, in fact, he's in the midst of basketball, playing uh, baseball as well in the summertime. And uh, Russia is, of course, known for its music. So he's had a great place to continue to develop uh, his music skill and playing the piano and, and then the guitar as well. Rachel had just done tremendously with the language. She's passed me by, you know, if I was ahead of her in the language in Ukraine, uh, that ended when we uh, arrived in Moscow. And she has done exceedingly well, passed her last language exam with flying colors. i a little bit behind her, but I'm getting there, and hopefully by year's end I'll be where she's at. But we are doing well, and uh, we are so glad 
that we not only are your missionaries, but we are able to go on your behalf to serve the Lord in a dark and oppressed place like Moscow. Sean said, I do have a little bit of laryngitis from a recent cold, so if you'll bear with me, I'll do my best. Um, But as he also pointed out, I came over with a, a desire to spend time with my mom, who's suffering with cancer but doing really well. Uh, there in Lakewood. I got to see her a little bit yesterday and look forward to the week ahead with the Thanksgiving celebration and my family and enjoying that time with her. And thank you for praying for her. Thank you for lifting her up to the Lord. She covets your prayers. She feels your prayers. She knows you've been praying. And, and we do as well. Thank you for praying for us in Moscow. It's thousands of miles away from here, but we have truly felt your prayers in the power of them and the God who is behind them. So we rejoice in that. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I don't often preach from the Old Testament, but I love the Old Testament and believe strongly that it's, it's uh, equally infallible and powerful. And so we'll look together at Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses ran from it, but the Lord told him, Stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased like snow. Then he said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the, of the second sign. And if they don't believe even those, these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, uh, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman and you will serve as God to him. Take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time as 
As we have worshipped you today, God, I pray that as we go into this time of looking at your word together, God, that we will continue to worship you. Lord, may you use this, your servant, your missionary, your emissary, God, to come and bring a word to this dear, dear family of what you were doing, God, far, far away from here. Lord, not so that anyone can boast, but Lord, so that we can sing glory and praise to the one in whom we hope. Lord, may you use me today. May you open the eyes and the ears of those that are here to what your word says to them. Lord, may your Holy Spirit work in every area of our lives. Thank you for this church, God. Thank you for this this, uh, assembly, this gathering of believers, God, who are worshiping you, who believe in the mission to which you've called us. And I pray that you will bless them in a mighty way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not long after we moved to Moscow, we lived in an apartment uh, and we got to know a few of our neighbors there, but, you know, it's quite hard in an old uh, former Soviet apartment to really uh, quickly build deep relationships, and especially when you're a foreigner uh, in, in that place, it, it takes time. But we certainly had gotten to know our next-door neighbors. Unfortunately, this young couple who had a, a small baby, a small child, a son, uh, were both drug addicts. Well, we often heard them late into the night partying with their friends and, and I'm sure doing drugs and drinking alcohol and, and uh, their life was a mess. One, one night, very late at night, we heard uh, noise. It sounded like a baby crying and um, we didn't think too much of it because that was pretty normal stuff there uh, with our neighbors but we could hear this child crying through the wall. Um, not long after that, we heard a knock at the door, and so I went to open it. I was cautious because, you know, we have to be very careful being foreigners in a foreign place, not knowing who's coming to the door, especially late at night like that. But it was a young lady, and her name was Cassinia. And Cassinia came over to me, and, and uh, she said, have you heard this child crying in the apartment next to you? And I, I said, yes, we, we heard the crying. And she told me that she thought the parents had left the baby there alone. Well, they went off to do whatever it is that they were doing. She called the police. The police came. They interviewed uh, Cassinia. They asked me a few questions, and then they went into the apartment and, in fact, did find this small child. And... Uh, not long after that, the parents were located, and uh, I'm sure there was, were lots of questions asked, and, and, uh, and, and obviously this was a very, very difficult time for this couple uh, who were in the throes of this addiction that had really created chaos and destruction in their life. But in the aftermath of that, God gave me an amazing opportunity to to uh, visit with Cassinia, and, and God used that time, that really, really uh, very uh, difficult time for us to develop a friendship. And as Rachel and I got to know Cassinia, it became clear that she was not a follower of Christ, that she knew very little about Christ. She invited 
Rachel, Samuel, Tessa, and I to come to their family home out in the country for uh, a holiday, a celebration. It was a Russian holiday. And uh, so we went. We went there to uh, enjoy that time together with them. Well, it didn't take long to see that this was kind of your average Russian family that, that really liked to celebrate. They liked to have a good time. But usually when, when they celebrated, that meant one thing, lots of drinking. So as Ksenia and, and Rachel visited, and Rachel met her mom and her sister and some other folks in the family, I was taken by Ksenia's father and her brother out into the garage in their, their home there. We sat down. And these two men, uh, they pulled out the vodka, pulled out the glasses, and they said, here, let's celebrate together. Well, of course, they poured theirs, their portions, and had my glass and were ready to pour mine. I said, well, will you drink with us? And I said, I said uh, gentlemen, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't drink. So they said, well, that's very strange, but they, they certainly didn't hesitate to partake of the vodka. Then after they'd had a good drink or two or, or more, they said, well, listen, you don't drink, but smoke with us. Have a smoke with us, of course. So they took out the cigarettes, and they were ready to hand me a cigarette. And I said, guys, I, I'm sorry, but I don't smoke either. Well, the father, Cassinia's father, looked at me, and he's very, very uh, strangely, he said, what kind of man are you? And he laughed. Obviously, I wasn't scoring any points for American manhood in his eyes. But I had to do what I knew was right. And, and uh, I tried my best. I, I drank my juice there as they drank their vodka. And as they smoked their cigarettes and the smoke was in my face. I did my best to, to just sit and, and enjoy the, the opportunity to get to know these two men. Well, later after they were done with all of these things, and we went out to the courtyard. There was a courtyard area and, uh, around their home, and there they, they had a wood pile. And, and, um, and so Cassinia's father began to split wood, knowing, I, I believe, it was uh, right in the winter time and needed, uh, needed uh, fuel for the fire in the house, and so they were splitting wood. Well, then they asked me, would you like to split some wood with us? I thought, you know, I really haven't done very well so far. And although it's been years, you know, I grew up in Gunnison where splitting wood was certainly part of life there. And you needed wood to, keep, to heat the home. And um, I, I really did very little of the splitting wood, though I did a lot of the carrying wood. So I really, truly didn't even know how to do that. But I thought, you know, this is an opportunity for, for me to show these guys that I'm with them. So I'll let them teach me how to split wood. Well, I got up there and uh, I'd watched a little bit of what he did, but... I wasn't quite sure I had the knack for it, but I, I put the block of wood there and, and uh, I placed it on this, uh, this wooden uh, table and I took the axe and I, I came down hard on it and, and really very little happened that was good. <laughs> and of course, these two Russian men laughed, had a really good laugh at the Americans' expense and they said, you know, let us show you how to do this. You Americans, you don't know how to do anything. You can't drink, you can't smoke, and you can't chop wood. I said, yes, please teach me. Show me the Russian way. So, 
Cassini's father took this block of wood and he showed me how you could take this wood and, and you could just tap the axe handle into it. Then you turn it on its end and you very, really quite gently hit it against, against the table and the wood, just because of the weight of that piece of wood, will basically split itself. You throw it down on, on, on the table and then it will split itself. And, and sure enough, I did that. I, I took the axe, I put it in the block of wood, I turned it over, and I dropped it. And then the weight of the wood did, in fact, split it perfectly, just like they said. And I was celebrating. I was thinking, yes, I'm a real man. <laughs> well, they didn't really celebrate. They kind of laughed at me. But, but I'd learned. I'd learned something from these guys, and it gave me a great connecting point with them. And praise God, the end of that story is this. Although those two men did not come to know Christ, I had a chance to be a witness to them, uh, both in my, my actions and, and certainly in my words as well. I had a chance to share with them while we were there. And, uh, and I'm sure, uh, to their ears anyway, broken Russian, I was able to share with them about what Christ had done in my life and why he had called us thousands of miles to, to come there and to live there. There's a principle there, though, that, that didn't escape me. You see, it was amazing that, that when you took that block of wood and you, you turned it over, that the actual weight, the weight of the wood itself did the job. This morning, I want to look at this passage of Scripture at Exodus chapter 4. And I really believe there are, are wonderful truths that we can see in this passage of Scripture that will help us to understand that we are instrument in God's hands. And just like that block of wood, when we allow God to take us and use us and break us, He will do amazing things through us. So let's look together at this passage of Scripture very briefly. We won't have time to cover every part of it, to exegete all of it fully, but there, there are at least four truths here that I believe, four, four things that will be helpful to remember if we are to be instruments in God's hands. The first one is this. God calls you, he calls us, really, to throw our identity on the altar. He calls us to throw our identity on the altar. Look what he did here. Verse 1, we see Moses asking the question, what if they won't believe and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? God said, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, throw it on the ground. And then Moses threw it on the ground. Jack Taylor said of Moses, from a human perspective, the best time for Moses to have been used mightily of God would have been when he arrived from Egypt. He was relatively young still. He was trained he was energetic. He was strong. But there was still one thing that Moses was lacking, that it would take him 40 years to get humility. Humility. And God told Moses here, we have a picture of God telling Moses, Moses, take that staff and throw it down. You know, the staff in Moses' life had been the essence of his life, hadn't it? 
He'd use that staff to herd the sheep, to, to, uh, to provide for his family. It was really the essence of his identity, wrapped up in that, that walking stick and that, that staff that was used to guide his livestock. God said to Moses, take that staff and throw it down. Friends, God asks us to do the same thing. He calls us. He calls us to take our lives and to throw them down. Put your life, put your identity in my hands. Now, there was nothing inherently wrong with Moses' staff, was there? It was good. It was useful. It was a helpful tool. It certainly was. But see, as is often the case in our lives, the problem with the staff was this. It had become a crutch. Just like we have in our lives those things that we depend on more than we do God. Anything in your life, any talent, any ability, any gift, any success that we put our trust in, that we hold on to more than God, is a barrier to our relationship with God. And it keeps us from depending upon God. God said, throw it down. Throw it down. And when, when he threw it down, it turned into a snake. Now, I can't tell you I know exactly why God did that thing other than God wanted to demonstrate his power to, to show that he was capable of supernatural miracles. What's interesting, though, is Moses' reaction to it. He ran. He fled when it became a snake, and then God called him back, and, and he picked it up, and it, it once again became a stick. I do think that we can see this truth there, though. In light of God's holiness, it becomes clearer and clearer how unholy our lives are. Everything about our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we go about life, the, the things that we seek in life, the achievements, the successes that we strive for, all the talents and abilities that we may have, even for those of us that God's called to serve in the mission field, all of our plans and strategies without God, they're empty, they're useless, they're impure. And God, over the last year, I'm just here to tell you this morning, friends, God has called me over and over and over again, Kent, throw it down. You're not the director of missions here. Not that that was a bad experience, and not that I won't use it, but that doesn't mean anything here. All your years of experience and, and successes that you may have had in your life, your education, none of that means anything here. Trust me, I'm calling you. Throw it down. And we have. Submitting your identity to the Lord and saying, Lord, just take me and mold me and shape me. God, help me to understand that, that it's your ability it's your ability, not my ability, that will bring fruit, lasting fruit and success. God calls us to throw our identity on the altar. The second thing is this. God gives us more than words. He gives us his presence. He gives us his presence. Exodus 4, and we'll look in verse 5. It says, this will take place, God says to Moses, so they will believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to you. 
You already know because you know these stories so well, most of you, that Moses had had a transformative experience with God, had he not. He had stood on holy ground before the living God. He had seen the face of God in a burning bush. He had experienced, he had encountered the living God. And even after all of that, he had to be reminded, put your trust and faith in me, Moses. Depend on me, Moses. Because the very first question out of Moses' mouth is, God, what am I going to do when they don't believe? What am I going to do then? And basically, he's, he's saying this, God, if I come to them and I share about you, I share my testimony, I witness to them about you, and then they, they don't believe. Or they even go further than that and say, I'm a liar. Or I'm deceived. What, what then? God said, just believe. Believe that I'm leading you. Believe that you're in my presence. God said in chapter 3, he replied to Moses, I am who I am. See, God is all things. He is all holy. And his presence and his presence alone is enough. It's enough. Interesting, isn't it, in the story of Israel that God gave daily sustenance and guidance to his children. We live in a Walmart culture, don't we? I mean, here the church is right next door to a Walmart. And, you know, we, this, it's really amazing to come back to America and to remember, to be reminded about the Walmart life, the Walmart experience, because you go there, right, and, and you load up. You load the cart up. Now, that's really strange in Russia, by the way. It's even now. Most Russians, they shop day to day to day. But, but boy, Americans, we love to go and, and stock up, don't we? Those are two of our favorite words in the world. Stock up. Let's go stock up. But God gave the Israelites manna, didn't he? And the manna was good for what? For one day. It was just enough for one day. These weren't Walmart folks. These were folks that relied on God every single day of their lives because they understood that that the only way that, that they could survive and live was for them to rely on God and depend on Him. He wants us to depend on Him. Yes, He'll use our words. Yes, He'll use us. Yes, we are His instrument. But he wants us to depend upon him. We are the branches, but he is the vine. The presence of God is a gift from God, and, and it shows his provision for his people. You know, speaking of words, words are an amazing thing. When you've studied language, you learn very quickly that, that it's really hard to learn a new language because you're not just learning language, you're learning culture. Culture is embedded in our language. It just is. And, and as hard as I strive, and I'm not sure I'm the most gifted linguist in the world. In fact, I know I'm not. I know this for a fact that, that as I strive to learn the Russian language better and better and better, I will ne- never get good enough, never ever get good enough, friends, to the point where I can communicate the word of God, the gospel of Christ, the same way I do in my heart language. There's no way. 
I could study for the next 20 years and still never be able to do that because I can never fully understand all of the nuances of the language or the culture. I could do pretty well, maybe, if that's what God calls me to do. That's what I'll do. Really, we're there, and I know you understand this, we're there to train their leaders so that if God takes us to another mission field someday, the church will continue to grow and disciples will multiply and will continue to engage the city of Moscow with the gospel. And I know you understand all of that, but my point is this. Even if I learn Russian better and better, it's still about God's presence. It's still about him, not me, not the persuasion of my words or my ability to learn this brutal, brutal language. It's hard. It really is. I've forgotten how hard it was. And the further you get into the language, the more you realize I'm relying on him. I'm relying on his presence in my life. He will give me opportunities. He will give me opportunities to make new disciples and, and to mentor and train uh, those that are already following him. The third thing is this. God speaks through us into the lives of others. Somehow, despite our limitations, despite our struggles, he still manages to use us. Let me tell you a couple of stories, and, and I do apologize. You know, it was a, a trip that I, I, I came on with relatively short notice, and we did, I didn't come with a laptop, I didn't have access to technology, so I, I wasn't able to put together pictures and a, a slideshow of any kind that I could present to you, but um, I know when the team comes this coming year that you'll get lots of great stories and pictures, and of course when we come on our stateside assignment in 2014, we'll have opportunities to do more of that. But I'll just tell you about a couple of, of my encounters that God has blessed me with in the last year. Artyom is a 30-something-year-old Russian guy who's sort of looking for his own identity. He, um, he is very intelligent. He's a computer programmer, and uh, he can find opportunities to use his talents and abilities to make money, although last I talked to Artyom, he wasn't employed regularly. But Artyom and I got to know each other through some English club ministry that we were doing, and we developed a friendship. And one time, Artyom said, Kent, hey, let's go, let's go, um, let's go do some rope climbing. I'm like, well, what do you mean rope climbing? He said, you know, there's this place uh, in one of the parks where you can climb ropes that are these ropes that are strung between these trees. And I'm like, well, what? huh? You want to take me, cl- you want me to climb these ropes? It, it sounded a lot like zip, the zip line that you've probably seen or maybe even you've done before. But, I, you know, I'm very afraid of heights. I thought, boy, that's the last place I really want to be, Artyom. But he said, no, 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 no. You've got to come with me and you've got to experience this. And so Artyom and I went to this, this rope climbing uh, place in the middle of Moscow in this big park and Boy, I, I climbed up there, and, and it was amazing to look out from, from the, the perch there in the tree and to see uh, much of Moscow around me. Uh, it was a little frightening to go down on the, on, the, on the line and to know that, you know, there was all that was separating me from the ground, you know, 50 or 60 feet below was just this little, this little basically what looked like a thread at that point to me. But I, I trusted it was going to hold. I trusted the Lord that it was going to hold because I was there for him anyway. We made it through the, rop, the ropes course. But it, I shared with Artyom, I, I shared my testimony with Artyom, and, and I asked him to consider 
Christ in his life. And Archim told me, he said, I really appreciate you, you sharing with me. And I'm very, very open. I'm, I'm really very open. But he said, there are just some things that I really enjoy doing in my life right now. I really like having different girls as often as I want. I like drinking. And for Archim, it wasn't orthodoxy. It wasn't the orthodox religion that was a stumbling block, although that's true for most Russians. He really wasn't terribly involved in that and didn't have a deep uh, heritage in that. It really was his lifestyle. He, he liked kind of sowing his wild oats. But I, I was struck with, with how God had given me this opportunity to build this relationship with this young man named Archom and, and how God had given me a chance to share directly into his life, given me the words to say both in English and Russian because Artyom knew some English, but what an opportunity it was to, to share with him and to, to know that God was allowing me to speak uh, his words into the life of Artyom. You can pray for Artyom, and I promise I'll bring pictures of Artyom the next time I see you, but, but, um, but just be praying for this young man, Artyom. There's another man named Sergei that God put me in touch with. You know, this was also through one of our English ministries, Sergei came to one of the Thanksgiving services that we had in one of our churches last year. And uh, Sergei shared with me about his family, and he told me at that time that his father was quite ill, and I told him that I would pray for him. Well, about the time I knew that his father was going to be getting treatment, I think he was getting a surgery of some kind, I sent an SMS to Sergei and said, Sergei, I just want you to know I've been praying for your father. Let me know how he's doing so that I know how to pray. So he replied and said, that's great. Thank you so much for remembering me and remembering my father. Well, some time went on, and, and uh, Sergei and I communicated a little bit, but really I didn't hear from him for some time. And, and then suddenly I was hearing from Sergei all the time. He was calling me on the phone. It was clear he was excited about something, but we were in the middle of, of some language study and... Um, and so I, I couldn't always take his call. He'd call me in the middle of language class. I mean, he was calling me all the time. And it was always hard on the phone with Sergei because he talked really slowly in English. And he was like, oh. And so, you know, quite honestly, there were probably times when I was avoiding his phone calls, even though I really wanted to talk to him. But one time I did answer the phone, and Sergei said, Kent, can we get together? And so we got together in a, a food court there in a shopping center in Moscow. We sat down together, and I thought Sergei was going to tell me, I'm making great progress in English. Thank you for helping me, and, you know, and all of that. But that's not what he wanted to talk to me about. He said, I, I've been going to a Bible study, and I'm really excited. I said, tell me more about it. Then he told me more about it. I said, that's great, Sergei. That is great. And I'd had a chance to obviously pray for Sergei, even pray with him, share in some of our Bible lessons, uh, I'm sorry, rather, in some of our English lessons, uh, some from Scripture, but I'd never really had a chance to directly witness to him, but I was so excited to know that he was seeking the Lord in his life. So as Sergei shared this with me, related with me about his experience of the Bible study, I said, Sergei, was there ever a one moment in your life when you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? He said, well... No. I said, I, I pray to God. I'm, I'm very interested in God. I said, Sergei, would you like to know 
Would you like to know how you, how you can be confident, how you can be assured that you are his, that you are his child? He said, yes, I would. So again, as with our tomb, partly in Russian, partly in English, I began to share with Sergei from God's word how he could know that he is his child, how he could experience life anew, how he could be born again. That day, Sergei did pray with me right there in that food court in Moscow, Russia. He prayed, God, forgive me of my sin. I repent of it, God. I turn away from it. I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. Now guide and direct me. Show me your will for my life. I was so excited, so excited. Praise the Lord. As I heard more and more of Sergei's story, I was really encouraged by this. Sergei had been seeking God in his life, not just in those recent times, but for many years. Because missionaries who had gone before me had also shared with Sergei. They had laid the foundation. Turn with me if you would. I know you know this passage, but it's a great passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. So what is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you have believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equal, and each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, as a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. Well, we could keep reading. It's a beautiful passage there that we have with Paul's words talking about this process, this amazing process of how God takes the words and and life of another believer. and, And then when we come along, we build upon that. And I was privileged. I was blessed to have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of of brothers and sisters that had gone before me and to share with Sergei so that he could have a relationship with Christ. Really has been amazing in our time in Moscow how many opportunities like this where I've seen missionaries, in many cases American Christians that have come before me that have laid a foundation for the person with whom I had a chance to share the gospel. Another example is a young man named Yaroslav. He's a young businessman, and I met him just a couple of months ago. Met him, and in this case it's really wonderful, because I met him through a Russian believer friend. And so the, and her name is Ksusha. Ksusha is friends with Yaroslav, and of course my friendship with Ksusha, she put me in touch with him and said, he wants to, to have English conversation, and I thought about you, because I know you, uh, you obviously speak English, and you love the Lord, and you are here uh, to share the gospel. So I developed this friendship with Yaroslav, and praise God, through, through Kasusha's witness and the witness of others, I've had a chance to share with him. And I, I remember not long ago, I was telling Yaroslav that I would be praying for him as he was going on a trip to uh, Siberia for his business. God had made him, uh, God had made it clear to him, rather, that 
that his business success, success was attributed to God. And, and so it was amazing just to see the lights going off in Yaroslav's life. That He knew that something more was at work in his life other than just, uh, you know, other than just his own success. He said, yeah, you know, it's great, but I'm going on this business trip. And I said, I'll be praying for you as you go on your journey. He said, Kent, that's great. I appreciate you praying. That's wonderful. But he said, more than praying for my journey, would you pray for my soul? I said, you better believe I will. And I I did. I prayed for Yaroslav's spiritual life. I prayed for his heart and his soul, that God would touch him and would move in his life in such a way that he would know that that, it, that he was his and that, that God wanted a relationship with him. God gave me an opportunity just a couple of weeks ago, in fact, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with Yaroslav. I very directly gave him the opportunity, gave him the invitation to surrender his life to Christ. And I could tell, though, that he was bothered by this. He told me, well, I, I'm, I'm so ready. I'm so ready for this ha- to happen in my life. But, you know... It's a process. I said, Yaroslav, it's not a process. I said, the process of growing as a Christ follower, yes, it is a process. But, but surrendering your heart to Christ is a one-time thing. And if you'll do that today, he will transform and change you. And then you will begin the process of growing in him. I knew, though, something was holding him back. And so as I continued to share with him, I didn't want to push, but as I continued to share with him and, and, and shared from God's word about about the opportunity that he had to make his life new in Christ. He said, you know, there's one thing. There's one thing that I'm just not ready to give up. He said, if I get romantically involved with a young lady, if I have a girlfriend, I, I know I'm going to want to live with her before I marry her. I said, Yaroslav, I, I said, I appreciate your honesty with me. I said, but understand if you surrender your heart to Christ, he'll make all things new. He'll change all things. God's not expecting you to say right now, I vow to give up all of these things. But what he does say in his word, if you surrender your life to him, he'll change it all. He'll give you a new perspective, a new outlook, a new life. Yaroslav wasn't ready, but you can pray for him, as with Artyom, that God would just continue to work uh, in his life and his heart, that the Holy Spirit would draw him to himself. God speaks through us. He speaks through us into the lives of others, into the lives of others. We see that in this passage, don't we? Because God, as Moses came to God, he said, Lord, I'm inadequate. I'm not articulate. I can't speak well. And God provided for him. Not only did he provide Aaron, but he said, I will give you and Aaron the words you need to say. Just trust me. And obey me, and I will direct you. The last thing is this, friends, and then I'll close. God bases our success on our obedience, not on how many we've converted. Not on how many we've converted. And I praise the Lord for that, let me tell you. Just to see Sergei come to know Christ was a great victory in a culture that is oppressive and difficult, in spiritual soil that at least has the reputation before for being one of the most difficult places to share the gospel in all of Europe. I was rejoicing in that. And, and rejoicing, in fact, in Yaroslav's openness, in Artyom's willingness to listen, and many other stories that I could tell you but don't have time to do. 
Do you know, I want to share this with you because I think it's a helpful way of looking at this. As we live a life of obedience and submission to Christ, we need to be reminded every day, God, help me to see that you called me to yourself and that you'll do the rest. Help me to see that you've called me to follow you in obedience, even to the ends of the earth. But help God every day to remind me that it's not about the notches on my belt. It's not about the number that are converted or profess faith in you. It's about the opportunity that I have to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs the good news of Christ. There's this thing that many missionaries use, and I have for years. It's called the Ingalls Scale of Evangelism. Let me explain it. It's very simple. Ingalls Scale is it's basically a spectrum. It tells you it gives you an idea of where people are at spiritually on the minus 12 scale on Ingle scale, for example. That's someone that doesn't believe in God at all. They have no God awareness in their life, none. They don't believe in God, they really don't care, they're not interested. If you, you could talk about God maybe with them, and they're like, oh, this is really interesting for you, but it has no bearing on my life, and I don't really need to hear it. I don't believe, I don't want to believe, I'm, I'm at this point not interested. Then as you go... Further in the positive direction, you get to minus five, minus four. You get to a place where people are, are, are more willing to listen. In fact, they believe in God now. Something has happened in their lives that has drawn them closer to a belief in God and even believing, starting to believe that if this God is true, if he is real, then maybe it's also true that Jesus Christ is real. Minus one, those are those people that all of us want to meet all the time but, but unfortunately rarely do. They're the people that are ripe to the gospel, that are just so ready that if you walk up to them and, and the, you let the Holy Spirit lead you through his word, they're ready to convert. They're ready to listen and to follow Christ, just like Sergei did, just like he did that day in that food court. And then the plus side is discipleship. That's the exciting side, plus one and so forth. That's where you grow in Christ. In your life. Well, I, I really think the Ingalls scale has been helpful and it continues to be helpful to me because it really puts it all in perspective that my job has never been to win them or to convert them. That's his job. He called me to share. He called me to proclaim, to do it boldly like he called Moses to do before the Egyptians and before the Pharaoh to show that he is a God of power and that he is simply his instrument, an instrument in God's hands. God was pleased with Moses because of his obedience. And in the end, we see in the end of his life, don't we? Moses' joy and fulfillment came through God. He didn't get to see the promised land. Uh, He got to see it, but he didn't get to experience living life in the promised land, but he got to see it from afar, didn't he? He was blessed with that. And, And I would tell you this, His joy and fulfillment was in direct proportion to his obedience. And friends, it's the same for us today. Your joy and fulfillment is in direct proportion to your obedience in the Lord. I am the most joyful and the most fulfilled in my life when I'm obedient to him. Now, if that means I take someone like Artyom or Yaroslav, who maybe had some God awareness, and I bring them closer and closer to the place where God can continue to work in their lives and bring them to conversion. Praise Him. 
We just work with a different scale in, in Russia. That's all there is to it in some parts of the world. And I don't need to mention those parts of the world because some of you have been to those very parts of the world. You go and you share the gospel. And, and although not every person converts, people are very open and, and, and are, there's, their lives are radically changed. And there are sometimes literally hundreds of people that are converted simply because someone went and shared the good news of Christ, something that was revolutionary that they'd never heard before. And people are so responsive. Not true in Russia. Not true at all. But what God has continued to tell me over and over again, Kent, it's not about you. It's about your obedience to me. And if you let me use you as my instrument, people will continue to see Christ in your life and they'll get closer and closer and closer to the place where they'll be mine. It started in verse 1, didn't it? Moses asking, what if, what if they question my testimony, God? Even claim that it's a simply a lie. God said to Moses then, and he said throughout this wonderful story, Moses, it's not about you. You're my instrument. If you'll put your faith and trust in me, I will use you. And the question we have to ask in Moscow in Sterling, in Fort Morgan, where we used to live, happily. <laughs> Lakewood, in Brazil, wherever God has called us to be, God, did, did I allow you to use me to bring people closer to you? That's the scale that we need to be looking at. God, did I allow you to use me to bring others closer to you? Maybe not professions of faith. Maybe not by the hundreds. Maybe not even in the tens. But I allow you to bring others closer. God calls us to throw our identity down on the altar. He gives us more than words. He gives us his presence at all times. He speaks through us into the lives of others. And finally, we can be Assured, we can take confidence in the fact that God bases our success on our obedience, not in the number of conversions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it cuts and pierces into our hearts, that is sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it both convicts us and it empowers us for your work. Thank you for loving me enough to save me and desiring to use me as your instrument. And I pray that each of my brothers and sisters here, God, this morning, that they're willing, ready in their lives, God, to allow you to so infuse them with your spirit that they are simply an instrument in your hands. God, work in hearts, work in lives and Lord, just use us in every way that you desire. Thank you, Lord, for this church also in their faithfulness and missions to go on mission with you. Thank you for their faithfulness in giving to the cooperative program, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that will soon be coming to support their missionaries. That is us serving on the field. God, thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their obedience. Bless them, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kent. Tonight